Ted, it is uh, about 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, you are scheduled to be executed tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock if you don't receive another stay. What is going through your mind? What thoughts have you had in these last few days? Well, I won't kid you to say that it's something that I feel that I am in control of or something that I've come to terms with because I haven't. It's a moment by moment thing. Sometimes I feel very tranquil and other times I don't feel tranquil at all. Um, what's going through my mind right now is to use the minutes and hours that I have left as fruitfully as possible and see what happens. Uh, it helps to, to live in the moment in the, in the essence that we use it productively. So I'm, right now I'm feeling calm and in large part because I'm here with you. For the record, you are guilty of killing many women and girls. Is yes. Yes, that's true. Ted, how did it happen? Take me back. What are the antecedents of the behavior that we've seen? So much grief, so much sorrow, so much pain for so many people. Where did it start? How did this moment come about? That's the question of the hour, and, and one that not only people much more intelligent than I have been working on for, uh, for years, but one that I've been working on for years and trying to understand it. Yeah, is there enough time to explain it all? Uh, I don't know. I think I understand it, though, understand what happened to me uh, to the extent that I, I, I can see how certain feelings and ideas uh, developed in me to the point where I began to act out on them. Certain very violent and very destructive feelings. Right, let, let's go back then to those roots. First of all, you, as I understand it, were raised in what you consider to have been a healthy home. Absolutely. You were not physically abused. You were not sexually abused. You were not emotionally abused. No. No way. I, and that's part of the tragedy of this whole situation is because I grew up in a wonderful home with two dedicated and loving parents, uh, one of uh, five brothers and sisters. A home where we as, our, as children were the focus of, of my parents' lives, where we regularly attended church, uh, two Christian parents who did not drink, they did not smoke, there was no gambling, there was no physical abuse or fighting in the home. I'm not saying this was leave it to beaver. It wasn't a perfect home. Well, no, I don't know that such a home exists, but it was a fine, solid Christian home, and nobody, uh, I hope no one will try to take the easy way out and to try to blame or otherwise accuse my, uh, my family of contributing to this, because uh, I know, and I'm trying to tell you as honestly as I know how, what happened, and I think this is a message I want to get across. But as a young, uh, a young boy, and I mean the boy of uh, 12, 13, certainly, uh, that I encountered outside the home again uh, in, uh, 
the local grocery store or the local uh, uh, drugstore, the softcore pornography, what people call softcore. Um, but as I think I, I explained to you last night, Dr. Dobson, in an anecdote, that as young boys do, we explored the, the back roads and sideways and byways of our neighborhood, and oftentimes people would dump the garbage and whatever they were cleaning out of their house, and from time to time we'd come across so, pornographic books of a harder nature than uh, more uh, graphic, you might say, more explicit nature than we would encounter, let's say, in your local grocery store. And this also included such things as, let's say, detective magazines and uh, more hard Those that involve violence. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I, I, and this is something I think I want to emphasize is the, 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 the most damaging uh, kinds of pornography. And my, again, I'm talking from personal experience, uh, hard, real personal experience. The most damaging kinds of pornography are those that involve violence uh, and sexual violence. Because the wedding of those two forces, as, as I know only too well, brings about behavior that is just, uh, mm. is just uh, too terrible to describe. Now walk me through that. What was going on in your mind at that time? Okay, before we go any further, I think I mean, it's important to me and, uh, and that, people, that people believe what I'm saying, to tell you that, that I'm not blaming pornography and not saying that it caused me to go out and do certain things and I take full responsibility for whatever I've done and all the things that I've done that's not the question here the question and, and, and the issue is how this kind of literature contributed and helped mold and, and shape the kinds of violent behavior it fueled your fantasies well in in the beginning it fuels this kind of thought process then, it, at a certain time, it's instrumental in what I would say crystallizing it, make it in, making it into something which is almost an, like a separate entity inside. And that in, at that point, you're at the verge, or I was at the verge of acting out on this on this kind of these kinds of things. Now, I really want to understand that you had gone about as far as you could go in your own fantasy life mm -hmm. with printed material, and you made or printed and video or film Photo, or film photos, magazines yeah. what have you yeah. and and then there was the urge to take that little step or big step over to a physical right. uh, event and it happens it, it happened in stages gradually it doesn't necessarily not to me at least happen overnight my experience with I say pornography generally but with pornography that deals on a violent level with the sexuality um, is that once you become addicted to it, and I look at this as a kind of addiction, uh, like other kinds of addiction, of addiction, you keep, I would keep looking for more potent, more explicit, more it's graphic kinds of material. Like an addiction, you keep craving something which is harder, harder, something which, which gives you a greater uh, sense of, of, of uh, excitement. Until you reach the point where the pornography only goes so far, you reach the, that jumping off point where you begin to wonder if, if maybe actually doing it will give you that which is beyond just reading about it or looking at it. How long did you stay at that point before you actually assaulted someone? Well, yeah, you see, <clears throat> that is a very delicate point in my own development. And we're talking about something, we're talking about having reached a point or uh, 
a, a gray area that surrounded that point over a course of years. You don't remember years. how long that was? Well, I, I would say, I would say a couple of years. And what was I was dealing with there were very strong inhibitions against criminal behavior, violent behavior that had been conditioned into me, bred into me in my environment, in my neighborhood, in my church, uh, in my school. Um, things which said, no, this is wrong. I mean, this, even to think of it is wrong, but it, certainly to do it is wrong. And you're on, well, I'm on that edge in these, the last, the, the, you might say, the last vestiges of restraint. Uh, the barriers to actually doing something were being tested constantly and assault, uh, assailed um, through the kind of fantasy life that was fueled largely by pornography. Do you remember what pushed you over that edge? Do you remember well, the decision to go for it? Do you remember where you decided to throw caution to the wind? Again, when you say pushed, I don't. I, I know what you're saying. I don't want to infer yes, again. I, I understand that. That, that I was that, that, that I was clear. some helpless yeah. kind of a victim, and yet uh, we're talking about an influence which, that is, the influence of violent types of media and violent pornography, which had an, was an indispensable link in the chain of behavior, the chain of events that led. To the behaviors, to the to the assaults, to the murders, and what and what have you. <laughs> it's a it's a very difficult thing to describe. Uh, uh, the the sensation of the the of of reaching that point where you where I knew that. It was like something had, say, snapped. That I knew that uh, that I couldn't control it anymore. That these barriers that that I had had been uh, I had learned as a child uh, that had been instilled in me were not enough to hold me back with respect to seeking out and, and harming somebody. Would it be accurate to call that a a, a frenzy, a sexual frenzy? Well, yes, it, that's one way to describe it—a compulsion, a a. a Building up of, of this destructive energy. Uh, again, uh, I, uh, another factor here that we, I haven't mentioned is the use of alcohol. But I think that, that what alcohol did, uh, in conjunction with, let's say, my exposure to uh, pornography, was alcohol reduced my inhibitions. At the same time, um, the, uh, the the fantasy life that was fueled by pornography. Uh, eroded them further. In the early days, you were nearly always about half drunk when you did these things, is that right? Yes, yes. Uh, was that always true? I, th I would say that that was generally the case, yeah. almost without exception. All right, if I can understand it now, there's this battle going on within. There are the conventions that you've been taught, there's the right and wrong that you learned as a child, mm -hmm. and then there is this this uh, unbridled passion uh, fueled by uh, your plunge into hardcore violent pornography and those things are at war with each other yes and then with the uh, alcohol diminishing the uh, the inhibitions uh, you let go well 
Yes, and to you can summarize it that way, and that's accurate, certainly. And it, it just occurred to me that some people would, would say that, well, I, I've seen that stuff and it doesn't do anything to me. And I can understand that. I don't, virtually everyone uh, can be exposed to so-called pornography, and while they're aroused to it to one degree or another, not go out and do anything wrong. Well, the addictions are like that. They affect some yeah. people more than they affect others. Well, but there is a percentage of people affected by hardcore pornography in a very violent way, and you're obviously one of them. That was a major component, and I don't know why I was vulnerable to it. All I know is that, uh, that, it, uh, that it had an, an impact on me uh, that was just so... Uh, central to the development of the violent behavior that I engaged in. Ted, after you committed your first murder, what was the emotional effect on you? What happened in the days after that? Well, again, this, please understand that, that even all these years later, it's very difficult to to talk about it and, to, and, and reliving it through talking about it uh, is, is uh, difficult to say the least but I want you to understand what happened it was like coming out of some kind of horrible trance or, or dream um, I can only liken it to after you know I, I don't want to over dramatize it but to have been possessed by something so awful and so alien and then the next morning wake up from it remember what happened and realize that basically I mean in, in the eyes of the law certainly in the eyes of God you're responsible uh, to have to wake up in the morning and and realize what I had done and with a clear mind and all my essential moral and ethical feelings intact at that moment uh, absolutely horrified that I was capable of doing something like that. You really hadn't known that before? Uh, there is just absolutely no way to describe first the brutal urge to do that kind of thing and then what happens is once it it has been more or less satisfied and recedes, you might say, or spent that, that sense, that kind of energy level recedes. And basically, I became my, myself again. I, and I want people to understand this too, and I'm not saying this gratuitously because it's important that people understand this. That basically, I was a normal person. Uh, I, I wasn't uh, some guy hanging out uh, at bars or a bum or. Um, I wasn't a pervert in the sense that, you know, people look at somebody and say, I know there's something wrong with him and just tell. I mean, I, I, I was essentially a normal person. I had good friends. I, I, uh, I led a normal life, except for this one small but very potent and very destructive segment of it that I kept very secret and very close to myself and didn't let, let anybody know about it. And part of the shock and horror for my dear friends and family when, years ago when I was first arrested was that they just, there was no clue. They looked at me and they looked at the, you know, the, 
um, the all-American boy. And I'm, uh, I mean, I wasn't perfect, but it's, it's, it, I want to be quite candid with you. I was, I was okay. Okay, uh, I was. And the basic humanity and, and basic spirit that God gave me was intact, but it, unfortunately it became overwhelmed at times. And I think people need to recognize that it's not some kind of... The, 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 those of us who, are, who have been so much influenced by violence in the media, in particular pornographic violence, are not some kinds of inherent monsters. We are your sons and we are your husbands. And we grew up in regular families. And pornography can reach out and snatch a kid out of any house today. He, he snatched me out of my home. It snatched me out of my home 20, 30 years ago. And, and as diligent as my parents were, uh, and they were diligent in protecting their children. And as good a Christian home as we had, and we had a wonderful Christian home, uh, there is no protection against the, kind, that, the kinds of influences that are loose in the society that, that, that tolerates. Mm -hmm. you, you feel this really deeply, don't you? Ted, outside these walls right now, there are several hundred reporters that wanted to talk to you. Yeah. And you asked me to come here from California because you had something you wanted to say. This hour that we have together uh, is not just an interview with a man who's scheduled to die tomorrow morning. I am here and you're here because of this message that you're talking about right here. You really feel that hardcore pornography and the doorway to it, softcore pornography, is doing untold damage to other people and causing other women to be abused and killed the way you did others. Listen, I'm no social scientist and I haven't done a survey. I mean, I, I don't pretend that I know what John Q. Citizen thinks about this. <clears throat> but I've lived in prison for a long time now. And I've met a lot of men who were motivated to commit violence just like me. And without exception, every one of them was deeply involved in pornography without question, without exception, deeply influenced and consumed by an addiction to pornography. There's no question about it. The FBI's own study on serial homicide shows that the most common interest among serial killers is pornography. Yeah, that's true. And it's, and it's real. It's true. Ted, what would your life have been like without that influence? You can only speculate. Yeah. Well, I, I know it would have been far better, not just for me, and, and it's, uh, excuse me for being so self-centered here, it would have been a lot better for me and lots of other people. I know that I had lots of other innocent people, victims and families. It would have been a lot better. There's no question, but that it would have been a, a, a fuller life. Uh, certainly, uh, a life that would not have involved. I'm absolutely certain would not have involved this kind of violence that I have been, that I have committed. Uh, I'm sure, Teddy. If 
you know, if I were able to ask you the questions that are being asked out there, mm -hmm. uh, one of the most important as you come down to perhaps your final hours, are you thinking about all those victims out there and their families? Well, who are so wounded, you know, years later, their lives have not returned to normal. They will never return to normal. Absolutely. Are, are you carrying that load, that weight? Is the remorse there? Again, I, I know that people will accuse me of being self-serving, but we're beyond that now. I mean, I'm just telling you how I feel. But through God's help, I have been able to come to the point where I've much too late, but better late than never, feel the hurt and the pain that I am responsible for. Yes, absolutely. In the past few days, myself and a number of investigators have been talking about unsolved cases, murders that I was involved in. And it's hard to, it's hard to talk about all these years later because it revives in me all those terrible feelings and those thoughts that I have steadfastly and, 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 and diligently dealt with, and I think successfully, with the love of God. And yet it's reopened that and I felt the pain and I felt the horror again of all that. And I can only hope that those who I've harmed, those who I've caused so much grief, even if they don't believe my expression of sorrow and remorse will believe what I'm saying now that there is loose in their towns and their communities people like me today whose dangerous impulses are being fueled day in and day out by violence in the media in its various forms, particularly sexualized violence. And what scares me, and let's come into the present now, because what I'm talking about happened 30, 20, 30 years ago, that is, in my formative stages. And what scares and appalls me, Dr. Dobson, is when I see what's on cable TV, <laughs> some of the movies, I mean, some of the violence in the movies uh, that come into homes today, with stuff that they that they wouldn't show in yeah. X-rated adult theaters 30 years ago. This stuff, the slasher movies that you're talking about, that stuff <clears throat> is I'm telling you from personal experience the most that is graphic violence mm -hmm. on screen, particularly as it gets into the home yeah. to children who may be unattended or or unaware that they may be a Ted Bundy who has that that vulnerability to that, that predisposition to be influenced by that kind of behavior, by that kind of, of, of uh, movie, that kind of violence. There are kids sitting out there, switching the TV dial around, and come upon these movies late at night, or I don't know when they're on, but they're on, and any kid can watch them. It's scary when I think what would have happened to me if I had seen, I mean, scary enough. <laughs> I mean, that I just ran into stuff outside the home, but to, to, to know that children are watching that kind of thing today or can pick up their phone and dial away for it or send away for it uh, can you help me understand this desensitization process that took place uh, what was going on in your mind well by desensitization I, I describe it 
in specific terms is that each time I'd harm someone, each time I'd kill someone, there'd be an enormous amount, uh, uh, especially at first, uh, enormous amount of, of, of horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. Now, believe me, I didn't. It, it, the unique thing about how this worked, Dr. Dobson, is that I still felt in my regular life the full range of, of guilt and, and uh, remorse about other things, uh, regret and... Uh, but you had this compartmentalized... This compartmentalized, very well-focused, uh, 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 very sharply focused area where I was like a black hole. It was like a, you know, like a crack, and everything that fell into that crack just disappeared. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it does. Uh, one of the, the final uh, murders that you committed, of course, uh, was apparently little Kimberly Leach, 12 years of age. Uh, I think the, the public outcry is greater there because an innocent child was taken from a, from a playground. What did you feel after that? What was there? Were there the normal emotions three days later? Where were you, Ted? I, uh, I can't really talk about that right now. That's, we, uh, that's too painful. I would like to, uh, I'd like to be able to convey to you what that that uh, that experience is like, but I can't. I won't okay. be able to talk about that. Okay. I can't begin to understand. Well, I can try, but I'm, I'm aware that I can't begin to understand the pain that the parents of these, of these children that I have, and these young women that I have harmed feel. And I can't restore really much to them, if anything. I won't pretend to, and I don't even expect them to forgive me, and I'm not asking for it. That, that kind of forgiveness is of God, and if they have it, they have it. If they don't, well, maybe they'll find it someday. Do you deserve the punishment the state has inflicted upon you? <laughs> That's a very good question. And I'll answer it very, very honestly. I, I don't want to die. I'm not going to kid you. I'll kid, kid you not. Um, I deserve certainly the, the most extreme punishment society has and I deserve I think society deserves to be protected from me and from others like me that's for sure um, I think what I what I hope will come of our discussion is I think society deserves to be protected from itself because because of we as, as we've been talking there are there are forces that loosen in, in in this country particularly, again, uh, this kind of violent uh, pornography uh, where, on the one hand, well-meaning, decent people will condemn behavior of a Ted Bundy while they're walking past a, a, a magazine rack full of the very kinds of things that send young kids down the road to be Ted Bundys. That's the irony. We're talking here not just about more. We're talking. I'm, what I'm talking about is going beyond retribution, which is mm -hmm. what 
people want with me, going beyond retribution and punishment, because there is no way in the world that killing me is going to restore uh, those beautiful children to their parents and, and, and correct and, and, and soothe the pain. But I'll tell you, there are lots of other kids playing in streets around this country today who, who are going to be dead tomorrow and the next day and the next day and next month because other young people are reading the kinds of things and seeing the kinds of things that are available in the media today. Ted, as you would imagine, there's tremendous cynicism about you on the outside, and I suppose for good reason. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure that there's anything that you could say that people would, uh, would believe, some people would believe. Yeah. And, uh, and yet, you told me last night, and I have heard this through our mutual friend John Tanner, that you have uh, accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and uh, are a follower and a believer in him. Do you draw strength from that uh, as you approach these final hours? I do. I can't say that uh, it's going to be being easy. in the, the, the valley of the shadow of death is, is something that I've become all that accustomed to and that I'm, you know, and that I'm strong and uh, uh, nothing's bothering me. Uh, listen, it's no fun. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it gets kind of lonely, and yet I have to remind myself that every one of us uh, will go through this someday yes. in one way or another, so and, man. and countless uh, millions who have walked this earth before us have, so this is just an experience which we all share. And,